When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three wins on the bounce for Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United and 20th place seems a far-off place now. The Reds are in fifth, which matters very little. It's only just turned from August to September. What matters, though, is performances, good results and the mood. And that mood is good. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate, as always. And on today's show, an immediate post-match review of United's 1-0 win against Leicester, achieved thanks to Jadon Sancho's first-half goal, his second of this season. Followed by a discussion with the Mirror's Nathan Ridley on the under-21's EFL Trophy victory up in Carlisle. And finally, we discuss our latest signing, Anthony, in a little more detail and talk about what could be his debut against Arsenal on Sunday in the Premier League. So let's get cracking with plenty to dive into. Jack, the, the big picture before we get into the particulars from that Leicester game is three wins on the bounce and just how far removed is this mood in a very positive way from where we felt on August the 7th after defeat to Brighton and August the 14th or 13th after defeat to Brentford. Feels like a different football club, to be honest, Harry. It's not to say that everything's perfect. Far from it. And we'll get into that in the performance in just a few minutes. But big picture... I mean, you couldn't have really asked for a better couple of weeks for United. Three wins, three important wins that have really sort of turned the tide. And we mentioned this in the last couple of episodes that the club was on on a precipice, on a bit of a knife edge. And we have 100% ended up falling onto the right side of that of that balance. It hasn't, it hasn't been plain sailing. I wouldn't say these three performances have all been brilliant, but they've showcased enough improvement and enough shoots of recovery, I think, to get us excited that this isn't just, you know, luck, and, you know, getting some narrow wins that won't carry on. These have been narrow wins that could easily have gone another direction, but there's been enough good stuff in each perform- in each performance to, to signal to me that this is a team that is starting to move in the right direction. Yeah, I think the signs that there are two things, an improved team and the uh, potential for very inconsistent form in the future, yes. I think is already quite clear to see. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the mood, what, what's brilliant about it is it's maintained the anger that was there after defeats to Brighton and Brentford and during the summer and to the back end of last season and many years before. The anger that's there is still being directed and is still being uh, uh, given an audience, but it's being directed at the right people. And it was at the at the time, to be fair, none of it was towards Eric Ten Hag. Not much of it was towards the players, to be fair. It was towards the ownership and and what's gone re- wrong there. And I like the, f- it's it's great how that's still getting the airing it is while these wins are happening. And that's a, a credit to the supporters for making sure that's happening. But um, in terms of the game itself, a very good first half, an excellent first half in moments with some, some as, as you say, some green shoots that we can really look forward to seeing developed into, into greater things. And let's talk about the first half before we get onto a second half that I think is why we, we might be concerned going forward. I've got to be honest, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching the first half. I thought it was one of the best 45 minutes of football that I've seen Man United play in a very long time. And especially 
it showed to me the way that Ten Hag is starting to change this team for the better, especially in possession. It didn't start right away. I thought the, te- the first 10 or 15 minutes, we were okay. The game was relatively even. But in the build-up to the goal, the f- sort of five minutes before then, and especially from after Sancho's goal until half-time, yeah. I mean, on the ball, I-, I haven't seen United play football that confidently and that accurately and precisely probably since the very beginning of Solskjaer's time at United. And even then, it was... I would say Solskjaer's football was more effective maybe in terms of the goal scoring, but I don't think it was as as controlled and as and as executed as cleanly as that first half was at times. I mean, the way that we were zipping the ball around one-two touch, playing out from the back was such yeah, confidence. Yeah, the, the playing out from the back is also the thing that we've seen, I think is is the most surprising because we don't see it. Yeah. We don't see it very often. And it was... And it was every it was every player as yeah. well that I thought was so exciting. It wasn't just, you know, say Martinez and Ericsson, who were probably the two players that you'd say are most naturally suited to playing out from the back. It was everyone. Varane, Darlow, Malassia, McTominay, Fernandez, Ericsson, all of them, even De Gea at times, <laughs> all of them involved in just, just making about. us very controlled, moving the ball very, very quickly. And I said everything was done one on two touches. And not only was it accurate, but it was done at speed. And I think that is the key thing that United have been missing. And that I've started to see a little bit at times is that we are on the ball playing at a much higher tempo, but at times the quality is is dipping as a result of that tempo. But the second the second half of the first half, from sort of twenty minutes onwards, we played at a really high tempo with a lot of accuracy, a lot of precision, and, and to be honest, it, it was very unlike watching Man United, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, and I, I think I, I would be very surprised if at some point in the next six to ten games there is not a goal that we concede as a result of playing out from the back like that. Yeah, yeah. But at Repeat some point, the second goal it will come back to bite us. But that is the that is the learning process to go back to a, a Louis van Gaal-ism. In terms of out of possession, we saw the same energy and intensity and pressure and proactiveness that we really loved against Liverpool. That did drop massively in the second half. But in terms of, I think it's incredible given how many of the players in the team are the same. And yes, Maguire and Shaw are out and and Ronaldo. But uh, given how similar the team is to the one that played Brentford and Brighton, where is it from? (laughs) Well, I think think it's a couple of things. One is probably the easy sort of throwaway answer is, is confidence. And I think that is definitely part of it with this team is we seem to play at our best when we have a group of players that are high on confidence and we have a group of players high on confidence when a couple of things at the start of the game seem to go quite well. Yeah. And against Leicester, I said the first 10 or 15 minutes were relatively even, but we definitely won on the back foot. We were playing some decent stuff. And just in the build-up to Sancho's goal, we started to really gain gain control of the game. And I think you you see those positive things happening. Then we obviously get the goal and then the confidence just blossoms from there. And, you know, that is infectious around the team. When you see... Everyone's starting to play with high confidence, with a good tempo, playing one, two touch football that rubs off on everyone. So that's one. But I think probably the the more important and the sort of tactical element of it is just the understanding between the players. And I thought Martinez and Varane was probably the most obvious example of this. Just the, the, the way that they're starting to read the game together as a partnership has improved massively. And off the ball... In defence, I thought the way that I really noticed that was when we had possession high up the pitch, you saw Martinez and Varane really clearly working to their strengths. Yeah. And so what we were doing, when we had the ball, say, close to Leicester's penalty area, Martinez would pretty much shadow Jamie Vardy wherever he went, basically ready to be there for those ground duels to try and win the ball back as soon as it breaks 
to forward up the pitch or backwards in our case towards Leicester's front man. And then Varane would sit about five yards deeper off of Vardy and Martinez, ready to sweep if a ball either gets flicked on, played in behind, or if Vardy beats Martinez in that initial 1v1. And again, that, that it's a really little thing, but it's something we haven't really seen from United very often, playing in partnerships, which they've been able to do because now third start in a row, playing well together. But I think tactically, that is the biggest difference. I think you've also seen it in possession, just in the way that we're better able to understand where players are going to be. Players don't need to take a touch and scan the field because they have a better understanding I'd suggest, of where, you know, if I'm- I, I think understanding's definitely a part of that. But I think communication is, at, at this early stage, yeah. I think communication is probably the more important thing. And I say that for two reasons. One, because uh, pre-match against Liverpool, when Ten Hag was asked why Varane had come into the team, he mentioned communication, which I thought was interesting because that's not something that people would normally associate with Varane as, as one of their immediate things to say. But Ten Hag was very clear he wanted his agility and his communication. I think we've seen the benefits of, of both of those things. But also, and this, I actually noticed this, particularly when it was a, a bad instruction from McTominay, but there was a moment where United were, were tracking back and, and Leicester counter-attacking. United had decent numbers. It was okay. Uh, but McTominay and Bruno were, well, in this case, McTominay was pointing Bruno which man to take. And it's just, it's such a simple thing and it, it should be happening at every level of football. But it's obviously, it obviously wasn't happening at United last season and that communication wasn't there. So I think at this early stage, the way in which Martinez and Varane talk to teammates, and I think this will also happen with Casemiro, is, is rubbing off on, I, d- I doubt it's a, dictation from Ten Hag about communicating all the time. I'm sure he mentions it, but I think it's the it's the impression that Varane and Martinez are leaving that the rest of the team are following in terms of communicating with each other. And it shows in terms of how we defend. Yeah, 100%. I think we, in the first half, especially in defence, we were, we were very controlled. And that doesn't mean you're cautious in defence. We weren't cautious at all. We were still... We didn't have, it was kind of similar to the Liverpool game where we mentioned we didn't really have a a high press as such. I think I called it a medium press where we were still defending higher up the pitch, but it wasn't as if we were putting Southampton under intense pressure every time they they had the ball. Sorry, Leicester in this case, every time they had the ball. It was more that as soon as we thought they started to progress, then we would be there. And when we did, everyone would go at the same time. And I think it is mentioned, the communication is a huge part of that because it's how you make sure that one person doesn't get isolated as we've talked about so many times, likes of Herrera and Fernandez, sort of famously doing their one-man press. We haven't really seen much of that and communication is is definitely a big part of that. These are, these are things that will improve yeah. as well as we just play more in Ten Hag's system. That we talked before, and I think this is a big part of the second half, that when things start to go less well in the game, United's players tend to sort of default back to, to what their natural tendencies are. And in defence, that can yeah. often be I'm going to work hard. I'm going to go close down every person I see, but actually that isn't really beneficial for the team most of the time. And the more we play in this system, the more hopefully we will start to see United, even in moments where the game maybe isn't trending in the right direction for us, we will still stick with those principles, both on and off the ball. Because ultimately that is how you improve. It's, it's, can you, can you rely on the system? Can you have the faith in the system that you will rely on it, even when things aren't going completely well in the game and not, so which default is, back to whatever your natural tendencies are. Which is what you said. When players talk about Pep at City, that's what they talk about. They just say, yep. Pep tells us we do it. 
and Haaland did exactly. it. Exactly. Even after scoring a hat trick himself, he just said, "Yeah, well, Pep tells me to be there, so I am." <laughs> and um, I, I think I thought Fernandez was a perfect microcosm of that in this game. Yeah, First half, yeah. though, was one of his best performances in a long time. There was very well, few of the sort of hero ball moments. He I was, still think decision making is so off with him a lot of the time. I think there's so many moments whether it's in in the yeah, final third. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I thought deeper though. He was. Yeah, yeah, he seemed to enough, be adjusting yeah. much better to playing as part of a midfield three rather than as a number ten, where he almost feels a little bit removed from the midfield and the defence. If that makes sense. Yeah, on like, on the first half, uh, the only negative is the fact we didn't kill Leicester off, and we should have. Yeah, done, exactly. This is a poor Leicester team, and I think that's that demonstrates that the, the defence at the moment is forget the second half, but the defence when we're playing well and we're playing within Ten Hag system is very good at the moment and very solid. Uh, we're only a couple of weeks on from losing 4-0 to Brentford. So it seems amazing <laughs> we're saying that, but uh, I think it's a fair point. And I don't yeah. think this is a, I don't think this is something that's going to drop off quickly. I think we will lose a couple of games, but I think the defence looks good. But the attack, there's still so much work to be done. And there were good signs in terms of how we yeah. played on the ball. There were, I, I tell you what the best signs in terms of on the ball and, and in attack is, is how quickly we managed to get those attacks started and sensibly as well. Yeah, we're, still, we're not rushing them, but they're going quickly. So for the, for the goal... You only have to look at the goal Yeah, for, for the goal, a long goal kick comes out and Dallow, instead of just hoofing it or getting his head on it, realises he's in space. Maybe he's been told by the great communicator next to him, Fran, um, and controls it and very quickly immediately spots that run of, of Bruno uh, or Rashford. And that, that's exactly what we should do. That's not what we saw at all in the second half. We were hoofing the ball regularly and, and all of that. And But yeah. yeah, I think there's so much work to be done in the attack and it should have been, we should have made that two or three nil by half time. Absolutely. If if we were we, a side we as well. good as the ones we're hoping to compete with, we would have done. Yeah. We, we did very well in the first half, getting the ball into good, good, good positions. Like we progressed it very well between the penalty areas. But once we sort of got up to that area, really the Sancho chance was the only really clear-cut chance we had. There was one decent effort from Ericsson where he pulled it just wide, but I mean, yeah. that was a shot from the edge of the box. Yeah. Fernandez had one where Rashford put a cross in, but again, it wasn't really a, a really obvious goal-scoring chance. Like that is what we've got to work on. We're, you know, we're sitting here praising how good the performance was, and I think the first half was very good. There's a lot of positives to take out of it, but at the same time, really, we've only created one very good chance. Yeah. yeah. Let's out, out of interest, Harry, just, just quickly in the first half, I was keeping track of uh, De Gea in particular, and I kept track of every time he got the ball, whether he went long or short. And he, by my count, he had the ball 16 times, at least under some amount of control. I didn't include him where he was just shut down and had to clear yep. it the first time. And by my count, he went long 10 times and short six times. But that, that skewness was a lot more towards long for the first half an hour or so. Last okay. 15 minutes when we were really high on confidence of sort of enjoying our football, that was when he really started to go short. I think it was about 9-2 at one point in favour of long. So... He still is very much sort of easing into this and he, and he's he's very much sort of on the on the risk averse end of things when yeah. the game is is nil nil and at the start. But that's okay. That's that's okay yeah. for now. You'd rather that. He did, he did improve. There were a couple of really, really nice passes into Ericsson yeah. and McTominay towards the end of the first half. Yeah. Let's rustle through a few things. Um in terms of the second half, what's the cause of that? Because I think it's probably underestimated how key fitness is to this. And the development yeah. of fitness is going to take some time. I think that's shown. I think Rashford's probably the best example of that. Ha- having Anthony and those two rotating should help with that a lot. Because yeah. I think Rashford uh, came in for a lot of criticism again today. He did some things very poorly, but most of those poor things were in the second half. I thought the first half he did 
Oh, yeah, some some really good bits, some other poor decisions or poor touches, but in general, the, the intensity with which he played was good. It just fell off in the second half and he was still trying, but it was it was poorly executed effort. It was one of, the execution of, of some of his touches weren't always the best in the first half, but I thought, yeah. I thought the, the intent that he was trying to play with in the first half was the best I've seen him as a striker when there hasn't been space to run into him behind. Yeah. It was really the most effective I've seen when he has been forced to come short and be a bit more of a link, a link man as a forward rather than being able to run in behind. Him and Sancho in particular, I thought, linked up really well, better than I've seen them so far in the first half. And Ronaldo? In the second half in terms of... When, when Ronaldo came on, what do you think the difference was? To be honest, I don't think it was anything to do with Ronaldo. I think we were just, we weren't, we weren't playing well already in the second half. Um, and I, yeah, to be fair, I yeah. thought... I, I thought Ronaldo's hold-up play at times was excellent. Yeah. And I thought actually Ronaldo's decisions in the middle third of the pitch were yeah. really good. In the final third were really bad, which is a, a remarkable thing to say about Cristiano Ronaldo. And he did, he did help, especially with some of the aerial balls that we were sort of pumping, not particularly to him, but just yeah. the clearances. He did help. Even if they didn't all stick, they at least sort of were, it was more delayed before Leicester won the ball back. And we were sort of getting into a bit of a rut with that in the second half. To begin. I also thought the last... Yeah. The last 10 or 15 minutes, he made some really good runs, actually, as the game started to stretch. But yeah, yeah. again, like you said, it was just the decision-making once we got into some of those positions. He seemed, seemed more hesitant than I've seen him before. I've, I've often criticised him for, for being almost too forthright in his decision-making to shoot all the time. Yeah. But in this, it was almost the opposite. Just slow. Yeah, it was just hesitant and slow. I've, I've never seen him like that. Yeah. Ever. At any point in his career. I thought it was amazing. He did it twice against Southampton. He did it once, really notably against Leicester. Uh, a couple of others. McTominay stood out in certain aspects. I thought his tracking and positioning was poor, but his interceptions, his tackling, yeah. was, it, it may be inefficient, but really busy. So that's okay. That's kind of Fred-esque. And his height was so key all yeah, throughout. Um, on the ball here and there, as, as he kind I of thought, I thought expect. he was. I thought he was more efficient than normal on the ball. I'm used to yeah. McTominay having, you know, one or two really marauding runs that often often don't actually lead to anything, but he, he has a tendency when he gets under pressure, his sort of panic move is, is just to try and drive forward. But I thought he was actually very efficient today. He seemed a lot more That's aware true, of what yeah. was around him. Yeah, he didn't he didn't spend too long on the ball. And you're right, he normally yeah. just drives. His height is going to make him play so many games this season, I think unexpectedly. Yep. I wasn't expecting him to play this many already. Uh, Casemiro, excellent. Um, just, yeah, the proactive way he defends and his like immediate search for a pass after is is brilliant. But just yeah. the way he steps out towards players. I, as I said, after the Southampton game, I haven't seen United players do that for years. It's amazing. I, I'm shocked when he does it every yeah. time. It's great. I think what I really noticed about Casemiro is he's he's proactive, but very calm and controlled. Yeah. I made a note in my, in my notes of the tactical stuff during the game that just before he came on, United were starting to look a little bit ragged defensively. Yeah. That we were still doing okay, like putting bodies on the line, but there's one, one bit in particular in the, in the build up to Madison winning a free kick on the edge of the box, probably around 60 minutes, I would guess. Um, we, we were just sort of all over the place. It was like Martinez, Iran, Malassia, McTominay, all sort of throwing their bodies in, which is, you know, good. I'm glad that, you know, there is that sort of commitment, but. I thought Casemiro did just bring an air of, of calmness, but without dropping that intensity, which is a really, you know, really key value to, yeah. to bring to the team. Yeah. I thought to, to go back to the question before, what's the cause of, of the, the worst second half performance? Again, I, I, I honestly do think this United team respond really differently to how the game is going. I think that's why you've seen us struggle to put 90 minute performances together over the last couple of years, because 
when when we start a game well, we're, we're sort of high on confidence and we dominate and we are able to put in good performances. You saw that sort of 20 minutes onwards in the first half, but first five minutes of the second half, we just weren't able to gain a foothold really. And then it just seemed like the the intention became, well, let, let's sort of sit on this. Let's make sure we don't do anything yeah. too badly. Tactically, I thought the big difference was just we weren't able to... In the first half, Ericsson and Fernandes were really key to helping us build out from the back. I mentioned that McTominay was efficient. And I think part of the reason we were able to build so well from the back was that actually the the onus for progressing the ball didn't fall on McTominay. When he got it, he was mainly just sort of popping it off either to the centre-backs or to Ericsson or Fernandes and sort of saying, uh, realising you're better at this than me, you go and take the responsibility for getting us up the pitch. And... In the second half, we just weren't able to get the ball into Ericsson and Fernandez anywhere near as, as well as we were in the first half. Whether that was more down to Leicester defending better or more down to us, I'm not really sure without rewatching yeah. the game. But that was, I think, the biggest difference to me. And and it ended up with us sort of panicking and trying to bypass the midfield. And we panicked but, too much. You know, we just didn't have yeah. the numbers. We had yeah, no, exactly. no control of the, the game in the second half to. at any point, really. It no. was especially noticeable just towards one- the end, but... Not not really at any point. There was a there was a couple of minutes where we slowed things down. Yeah, and that was really that's good. exactly what I was going to mention. Uh, it was, I think it was it was I wrote it down. It was seventy six minutes to seventy seven thirty for about a minute and a half. Not long enough. We kept the ball brilliantly, just sort of passing it around. Yeah, that but that was literally probably the only ninety seconds the entire half where we felt like we had any semblance of control. Yeah, the only positive at, of the end uh, and the second half really at all is we're so much better at the the dark arts than before. Yeah. McTominay tying his laces, Ericsson and Bruno slow to take corners, Dallow coming over to take the throw. It'll be even better. And I think this is another point in the second half is why the intensity drops. Fitness, I think, is massive. The point you've explained, I agree with. But also, we're getting so many first half bookings constantly. And the number of of fouls, stupid fouls we're giving away and and bookings we're picking up is is something we're really going to have to work on. It's It's not a major issue. But it, it's it's something that will detract us, and I think it's preventing certain in, intensity and energy in the second half from players like Dallo, particularly, who I think is now on four bookings already, which is too many. You shouldn't be having that many. That being said, he, he's he's yeah. he Malassia got a joke of a booking today, having won the ball, and Dallo got a joke of one against Liverpool. So you can't always judge. We should move on. But Anything else? I got, I got one, I got one little nugget for you, Harry. I was doing some research before we started this. When, when do you think United's last consecutive clean sheets in all competitions were? The last, the last consecutive clean sheets in the Premier League were December last year against Palace and With Norwich. Young, but we had a game in between, between those. Them, I don't know. Uh, all competitions. It's not last season. I can tell you that because there weren't any, there were no clean sheets in in yeah, any right. of the league. Well, there was in the FA Cup, but not not in the Champions League or the League Cup. So I will go as a guess because I can't yeah. be bothered to work my way through every game from the season before. I'm going to say February of the season before. You're very close. It was March 2021. Right. And it was, we played West Ham at home in the league and then yeah. Milan away in the Europa yeah. League. Yeah, that was, a actually, poor, that was a poor spell actually. And then Chelsea. Yeah, yeah Chelsea were just before it. We actually had, we had a run of six clean sheets in seven there, but I think three of those games were nil Yeah, nils. yeah. Chelsea was... N- I think Chelsea was nil now. West Ham was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. And then we we actually, weirdly, since we got them next week, we, we played Real Sociedad in that as well. We drew yeah. nil-nil with them. I was at that the game. Only, the only good result in there was we beat Man City 2-0 in that run. Yeah, but beautiful. I think, yeah. yeah, that was the, uh, the Luke Shaw goal, wasn't it? Right, final yeah, thing exactly. Final thing I'll say is support was amazing um, away at Leicester and wonderful chant. 
that you only get an English football of Jamie Vardy, your <laughs> wife is a grass. Just loved it. If anyone not from not from England doesn't know that ref, just Google Jamie Rebecca Vardy, Colleen Rooney court case, and you'll you'll get the reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that chart was followed by a rendition of Rooney. <laughs> Rooney. Manchester United's under-21s under the tutelage of FA Youth Cup winning coach Travis Binion began their EFL trophy campaign on Tuesday night up in Carlisle. I spoke to Mirror Football's Nathan Ridley to get some insight from Brunton Park. Enjoy the game yesterday. Yeah, it was a, it, it was actually a good game. But there's been I'm a Carlisle fan, so I've seen a few of them, the EFL trophy games when they play under-21 teams and they're usually really poor games. Attendance is usually well below 1,000. But last night it was... Last night was a real proper game, yeah, helped by the United fans, and I guess a lot of local Man United fans might have gone in in the home section and things. But it actually felt like um, uh, you know a proper fixture, and it was really good. It was it was good, uh, a bit different than a bit different than a regular League Two game. <laughs> How did Carlisle approach it in terms of the strength of the team? Because I know a lot of, uh, as you'll know better than me, a lot of the football league sides have have taken it less seriously since the Premier League teams gazumped their way in. Yeah, I mean, there was as much wholesale changes as you can have because the stipulation is that you can't change uh, your full 11. You can only make a certain amount of changes and make sure uh, academy players from your own club are included. But there's still a, a few first-teamers in there. The club captain was playing uh, um, and a few summer signings that, you know, there's there's big hopes for them. So I think Carl approached it pretty seriously. And, and manager Paul Simpson, he was involved in the England youth setup and... I think he actually really values the competition. A lot of managers have shunned it like the fans and there's definitely been a bit of a negative slant on it. But I think um, Carl's manager has been taken very seriously and you could tell with his disappointment afterwards that he's really disappointed about the results. And, you know, there's a big crowd there, over almost 3,000 uh, home fans and then supplemented by 450 travelling supporters that, you know, he was, he was disappointing to, to lose on home turf in a, in a just, you know, not just a, a cup tie against an under-21 team, but it did feel like um, a proper fixture. How, how did the game pan out then? Yeah, um, to be honest, it, it was a bit of a case of which side took the chances more efficiently. Um, United played the better football, but, you know, Carlisle played some decent stuff as well. And, you know, it was a great surface, Brunton Park always is, and Carlisle are trying to play football this season and, and play some good stuff. But United from the very off, they did seem pretty, you know, up, up for it and there was a good intensity to the play. Um, Colby Maynard started really well and uh, Don Hardley was putting in some tackles and sort of um, it wasn't just one of them it wasn't slow burn or anything it was really entertaining to watch and um, obviously United took the lead Charlie McNeil you know although he was, wasn't the most lively night for him he just showed off his goal scoring prowess because he's got such a good record at youth level um, but you know there was some there was some real standouts but when Carl got the equaliser, there was a bit of a shift that thought maybe the United players would would maybe find it difficult to to bounce back. But within a few minutes, um, Amari Forson got the equaliser that went in, and and to be fair, it was a deserved win. Carl did have a bit of an onslaught, but just couldn't take the chances. And United also hit the post twice. One of them being Alejandro Garnacho, who definitely showed you know, his, his quality, uh, probably a little bit of a level above his teammates at the moment. You can see why he's been around the first team. Same with Zidane Val. He was really impressive, good composure, uh, um, quite a mature performance, I guess, with being in the first team. They'll probably come back to youth level and they've learned a lot. So, so yeah, it was, it was impressive from a United point of view. 
frustrating night for Carlisle, but uh, it was a well fought game and, and a good contest. Interesting. You, may, uh, you mentioned Garnacho and, and Iqbal. Kobe Mainu, 17, um, is, is having a great start to see. He had a great year last year in the, in the FA Youth Cup. This is obviously a big, a massive step up from Youth Cup into playing against senior players of, of a good quality. Uh, but he still he still fared pretty well, it sounds like. Yeah, he did really well. From the first, he actually had the first shot of the game, but from the first few minutes, his name, uh, certainly in the press box, his name was was on everyone's lips. And it, I suppose it's one of them that because he's maybe not been, although Travis Binion told me after the game that he has been involved in, in first team training uh, somewhat, it's not really a name that I don't think many people have heard so far. Maybe, you know, only close followers of the United to youth ranks, but he was really impressive, you know, from Stockport, only 17. But, you know, a bit like Iqbal, he had a good balance of his defensive duties, but he's creative, he put himself about, wasn't shy at getting on the ball which was a good thing for all the players because it was, like I say, a big pitch, a good surface. And um, it really helped them. It wasn't, you know, the United will play Barrow and Fleetwood later in the group. And those pitches and those, you know, those um, type stadiums a little bit more grittier. But it was really impressive. And yeah, Manu probably came away from it with, with the most praise, even though he didn't get on the score sheet. And even though Iqbal and Ganacho were, were the two star names when the team sheets came through. You spoke to... Travis, after the match, how was he and, and what did he tell you? It, it was really chuffed. Um, I think because, it, you know, it was, I think it's his first time managing in the competition because Mark Dempsey, who was billed to be the manager, he didn't take charge. So Travis has uh, been in, he's gone to do the, the, the three group games and then I suppose if it, whatever happens in the knockout stages. But he was chuffed because the game, like I said, the, it was a good atmosphere. It was a well thought game. There was a little bit of need on there as well, which is obviously good for the youngsters. You know, making sure it's not light and breezy like academic football sometimes can be. And, um, you know, he said, he mentioned that this is the closest thing they're going to get to a real contest. This is why United have, you know, were, were keen to get involved in the competition. And um, it was just, uh, it was a great taste for all of them. You know, whether it, you, you performed well or performed poorly, I think for the young, youngsters and the managers, you will take a heck of a lot from those games. And, it is a much maligned competition from the EFL teams' point of view. You know, there's a lot of criticism for it, and it's totally understandable because, you know, it, it's very much there's a feeling like it's been hijacked a little bit. But from United's point of view, it's just a brilliant opportunity, and I think uh, Jarvis Binion echoed that. He, he was really chuffed with uh, with how the night turned out, and I think they got everything uh, they wanted from it. You can read Nathan Ridley's piece from the match, including an interesting interview with Travis Binion, on the Mirror Football website now. Anthony is official. Let's talk about him. Brazilian winger, 22 years old from IX4, an enormous feat of 100 million euros. Uh, that's about, well, it's 100 million dollars and in pounds is about 86 million confirmed. Ultimately, this is a superstar fee for someone I don't think anyone is claiming is a superstar. You're paying this kind of superstar fee for potential. And I basically think, I think the question we have to ask is, is that the market we're in right now? I don't think it is. United could have done much better than this, but if it works out, then who cares? Yeah. I mean, like we said in the last episode, I don't really care about how much money we spend in terms of the sum, because ultimately it's not my money. I care about it a little bit in terms of the process of the transfer and the opportunity cost, if that money was potentially available for, for someone else. But I don't think United really do transfers based on a strict budget. I think it's more 
I don't think it's that planned, basically. I think it's more if there's a player we like, yeah. we'll go all out for them. But that's kind of, that's kind of it. It's very off the cuff. So, we, we really have gone all out for him. I'd say this is, yeah. we've paid, this is probably the most we've overvalued the signing, maybe since Maguire. Yeah, I think I think that's about right. I, th- I think if you looked on paper at Anthony's experience, quality and age, you'd probably say he's probably about a £50 million player. At most, yeah. Based on... <laughs> based on everything at the moment. And and yeah, we've paid, you know, 35 million more than that. So yeah, we've definitely paid over the odds for him. The, the thing is, I think the thing that made this tricky is that we've obviously given Ajax, what was it, 57 million for Martinez earlier in the window, yeah. who is older in a less expensive position and had less years left on his contract. Yeah, And so Ajax had all the leverage there to be like, well, you've just given us 57 million for Martinez. Anthony has all these things in his favour that should make us demand a higher fee. So then your starting point is basically 60 million as a minimum. And from there, Ajax just held out and squeezed the most out of us that they, they could have wanted. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that thing of uh, Anthony was not like Anthony was not on anyone's yeah. radar. It's been known since back in the last season that he wanted to leave. He's obviously one of 10 highest favorite players from Ajax. Like we should have, A, should have been getting this deal done early, but B also should have had it begun the process of doing it so much sooner so that we could have been in a better position, a stronger position to negotiate with Ajax because as it, as it has ended up, they've sort of had us over a battle. Yeah, okay, let's talk the player. Um, and the important thing is is that Ten Hag connection. This is a player who was at previous times has been offered deals to join or been very heavily linked or scouted by Liverpool, City, Chelsea, many, many others. He's a, a great talent who did well at Sao Paulo and then Ajax. He's exciting. He's a Brazilian winger. We're, we're going to have fun with him. It, it really is. And we said this last time, but I think the key thing is uh, we spoke about he's going to play on the right wing. I think what's important is, is how is that right wing position with Anthony different to with Ronaldo? And you spoke a little bit last time about how, first of all, you're having a left wing, uh, a left footed right winger cutting yeah. in. The other thing I think I want to go back to is how Diogo Dallo will cooperate with Anthony. And this is something you raised a lot in when we spoke about pre-season that Dallow and Shaw in that case and a little bit Malassia were underlapping. They were inverted fullbacks. Yeah. That's something Anthony's done a lot at Ajax. He's, he, he unlike Sancho, who likes to have a overlapping fullback, Anthony likes him to underlap. Is that what all of this pre-season stuff was for? Given we haven't seen it at all in any game so far this season, is that what it was all for? in preparation for Dallow to underlap with Anthony? <laughs> to be honest, I think it's more that it's gone out the window slightly unintentionally because we did try it a few times against Brighton and Brentford and it just didn't come off. It happened a couple of times today against Leicester, but it was more Malassia sort of switching with Ericsson for a minute or two. I think you, you might see a little bit more of that with Dallow, but to be honest, I think I don't think we'll see it I don't, I don't think inverted fullbacks is dependent on, on Anthony. I don't think it would change that much with it. I think basically Ten Hag has just seen that we're probably better off playing with the midfielders in that kind of area than pushing the fullbacks inside because I think the Premier League, there's just so little space to work in in the Premier League, basically. But I think on on Anthony himself, a few things to note. Like you mentioned, left-footed right winger, not a profile we've had really since Juan Mata used to play a wide right under Moyes and Van Hal. And Anthony's clearly a very different profile. He wasn't profile meant to play to there anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it should give us more balance because we will then have a right-footed left winger. I think you only have to look at the first half against Leicester today, despite how good we were. You know, I mentioned Sancho and Rashford's link-up, but there was a clear drop-off on the ball compared to 
the left side of the pitch to the right where you had Elanga, who, you know, he has good movement, but the quality on the ball just isn't there. And that is something that Anthony will definitely bring. More goal threat as well. He's much more direct than most wingers that we've had that have played on the right in recent years, which again is something that we're going to need given that I don't think, us, given especially the situation with Ronaldo, who is really the only natural goal scorer in this squad, goals from, from the wings and from midfield is going to be an important part of this season for us. Anthony is, I think, more than anything, he's exciting and he's fun. You know, like like you said, no one is claiming that he's a superstar despite the money paid for him. I don't think anyone is expecting that from him. But based on his age, on his profile, and just the way that he plays football, he is more than anything a fun player that I'm excited to watch for United because I think it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a wild yeah. ride. I think the interesting thing is also how he's going to play alongside Rashford and potentially Ronaldo. And uh, look, it, it, he's different to Rashford in many ways, as we've just said, but also he's a winger who prefers the ball to feet like Sancho, kind of unlike Rashford. I mean, Rashford's kind of veered towards wanting the ball to feet a little bit more, but I think that's because his confidence is off. But generally, Rashford's at his best when he's running off the, the fence and, and receiving it in behind them. Anthony and Sancho are not like that. So we've got two wingers who like the ball to feet. And I think that will help give a bit more balance to the team. And I think it will also help Rashford in two ways. One, I think, as I've explained earlier, I think he, he can play in 30 minutes intense uh, runs. He can do 60 minutes, but we've not seen it a full game from Rashford for a long time. And against Liverpool, he was great, but he was absolutely knackered by the time it finished. Um, and the other thing is if Rashford plays up front, that's a much more it's a much more well-balanced front three for him to play with if the two wingers are those who like receiving the ball to feet and creating chances. And Rashford can then kind of have a, a much more defined position and excel in it. So that that's my one hope. And with Ronaldo, I think the same is true. He's not having the ball to feet. He's having it in the box. And Anthony should be brilliant for providing him with chances because look, he is staying whatever we think. And we're, we're going to have to try use him as best we can because if we can use him well, he could be a 20-goal striker still for United. Yeah, it should, it should benefit Ronaldo massively. Anthony, given... It's odd because Sancho really is a he really is a ball to feet winger, but he's not really a crosser of the ball either. He's he's a creator more sort of in the half yeah. spaces is where he's at his best. But Anthony, I think, is a lot more traditional in that sense that he is he's very much a, a shooting and crossing winger, which will obviously benefit Ronaldo massively when he does play. I think the other thing is it will just allow the likes of Sancho and Rashford and even Martial and Elanga, I think, to just have a few more defined roles. I don't think we'll see. Rashford or Sancho playing on the right very often now. I think you'll probably see the sort of depth being Ilanga and Anthony as the right wingers, Sancho and Rashford as the left wingers, which will definitely help. Rashford will probably also get some minutes up front, just like we've seen tonight against Leicester. But I think in general, that will be the way United will go, which will only help because Sancho and Rashford both seem to have a preference for playing on the left, as Martial has done, obviously, when he plays on the wing as well. That will only help those players create a more defined role in this team as they're getting used to Ten Hag's system as well because the demands that they have will be slightly different depending on which side that they play. So I think it will only help, obviously, just adding depth as well. It's it's crazy how much one player, I often think about this, crazy how much one player can change the perception that you have about the depth yeah, in, a, yeah. in a given position, you know, because we go from now having Elanga as effectively our starting right winger, assuming that Sancho and Rashford both want to play on the left. But you add Anthony in and all of a sudden you've now got four four wingers Elanga kind of being fourth choice out of those four, but just just by adding Anthony, our, our forward depth feels so so much better than it did a week ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's he's, he's an exciting player. I can't wait to watch him. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And 
I think if he's, I think he'll take some time to settle in. And you have to remember how how long it's taken Sancho to start getting into a little bit of of form. Uh, but the confidence with which he speaks uh, is is very different to how Sancho speaks. And I think United have got another really kind of a proper character there. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And his debut, could and, it's, be- and it's just it's another way to create chances yeah. and score yeah, yeah, chances. Yeah. We yeah. we mentioned that we struggled to create against Leicester, and I think everything was is. Maybe a little bit, I don't want to say too easy because the likes of Sancho, Rashford, Bruno obviously have their qualities, but I think Anthony just adds a completely different dimension. He's someone that can create out of nothing for himself better than I think any of our other wingers can. Yeah, I'd probably put him similar to Sancho in that regard. And yeah, I think so. But yeah, he could play against Arsenal. Would you you throw him straight in? I'd probably bring bring him off the bench, I think. I mean... I don't. I definitely don't think there's an, an, as much need for him to have like training sessions with the team, given that he's played with Ten Hag yeah. before. I think the fact that we're playing against Arsenal makes me a little hesitant to completely throw him in at the deep end. But like I said, given his familiarity with Ten Hag's system, I think we it wouldn't surprise me to see him from the start. But I think more likely we'll see him off the bench. Okay. Final thing. Uh, yeah, I'd keep him, keep him on the bench, and bring him on if we need him. Uh, final thing is how do United approach this? And we've got to be quick because we need to wrap up. But. There's a there's a similarity between the approach to Southampton and Leicester. Very different to how we approach Liverpool. Arsenal are a bit in between, aren't they? They're not going to give the same quality or performance as Liverpool. And uh, bear in mind, yeah, Liverpool played badly in that one. But in terms of the quality of their players and also uh, the kind of expectation on them and how much possession they'll have, I don't think Arsenal will accept having that much possession away from home at Old Trafford. So how do United approach this? I think similarly, actually, to how we approach the Leicester game on the ball in terms of, I think the place to get at Arsenal is through the middle. Their midfield, especially with Party out now, Lokonga and Xhaka as their sort of two holding midfielders, there is definitely vulnerability there. And I think if you can get, let's say, let's say Casemiro, who I would start against Arsenal, I think, I think the, the dual creators of Ericsson and Fernandez, again, as we saw in the first half against Leicester, will be, will be key. And I would look to that, to be honest, to be the main way that United attack. Arsenal was strong down both sides and Martinelli and Saka backed up by either Zinchenko and Tierney or as it has been this this year so far, Ben White on the right. I think that is where Arsenal are strong and United, are, it, at least in terms of the fullback, slightly weaker on the ball. So I think it, Martinez is going to be absolutely key. Arsenal will press us high up, high up the pitch, but it won't be the most intense press you'll ever see. I think it'll be kind of similar to what we have done in the last few games in terms of how high they want to press. Yeah. So I think that will... Obviously, creative challenges, but if we can, I can just see it being a very end-to-end game. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Which I think will, I think, is also kind of evidence of where Arsenal are at in that they've improved massively, but they're not quite at that level where I I could be eating my hat after this. But I don't think they're quite at that level where they can come to Old Trafford and really just dominate and pull off the victory. I can see them dominating and losing. But we'll see. I, I've watched them a few times. They are they are so much better. This I think season, I think really. what you'll see is a, I think you'll see a cagey start for the first fifteen or twenty minutes. But as soon as the first big chance of the game comes in, I think it will become pretty end to end very quickly because mid, central midfield is ultimately where both teams are, are at their weakest. And I don't think either, I don't think either team will ever fully control this game. I think it will it will swing quite a lot. The the one one thing I am worried about is Jesus in space. I've got to say oh, he's yeah. he has surprised me a lot with how good he has been. He's looked so good. Yeah, and it, it, like I've always known he had good movement and could you know be a bit of a fox in the box. Where he's really surprised me is just his ability to beat a man, honestly. And I think yeah. that is one thing we haven't really seen Verano Martinez tested with that much so far. Especially if this does become a bit of an end to end game, 
If Jesus is picking up the ball 34 yards from goal with Varane and Martinez to beat in space, that makes me nervous. Yeah. The other, I think there's a, there's a couple of massive decisions because I think you want to bring Casemiro in. I think Ten Hag will quite, kind of want to keep McTominay in. So that's a bit of a problem. And the other is, this could be a game for Ronaldo, but he's going to have to make that decision and we're going to have to wrap up. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Patrons, thank you for your support in allowing us to do these uh, two episodes a week, uh, which is exciting to be able to do. So thank you for that. Uh, Jack, for your thoughts on the Arsenal game and everything else throughout the week before we're back next Tuesday morning, where can people find you on Twitter? At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And I'm at Harry Robinson 64 the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pods. That's P-O-D at the end there. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Goodbye. Network.